Well, good morning. I'm over here standing, singing Silent Night, and my little girl comes up and she grabs my hand. And she's like, oh, your heart just melts in those kind of moments. And then she whispers, Dad, you're in my seat. <laughs> I'm like, All right. <laughs> Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17. Dave read for us from Isaiah, and I just want to kind of fixate on this verse for just a little bit. And it's, it's a verse that we know. It's a verse that's often quoted. It's a verse that can bring us great comfort, that God knows all. And he is accomplishing all of his will with all knowledge and with all wisdom. We love this verse. But then the unexpected can happen in life. Our current situations, struggles, suddenly just come and, and they don't seem to match up with our theology. What happens then? We've all hit that point sometime in life, haven't we? We've come to believe upon Christ. We're loving being part of church. We're really uh, enjoying learning His Word. And then life comes and slaps us across the face. And we're left at a crossroad. Do I really believe that God's ways are far above mine? And that he is always good. Or do I really only believe when I get what I want? And that may seem like a really cruel question. Because the sufferings of this life are truly difficult. Extremely painful. Our community is still staggering from unexpected tragedy. How does that fit in theology? How does that fit with what we know to be true? As we read today, Abraham is being told by God all that God has planned for him. That the whole world was going to be blessed through him. But the fact is, is that Abraham's reality isn't lining up with what God is saying. That what Abraham sees is not what he's hearing. That his view is very limited. And he's struggling through this. His, his theology and what he sees in his life isn't really clicking. So what then? I pray that as we read today, and as we study this passage that we will be certain in our hearts that no matter what we see, no matter what we feel, no matter what may come our way, we are sure of this. Our God does what He does. And He is good. And that we are called not to figure things out, not to try to understand it all, but we are called to daily obedience to the Lord. 
trusting that God's plans are the best plans, not just for us individually, but for all of creation. So please follow along with me in your Bible, chapter 17 of Genesis, starting in verse 15, and I'm going to read through the end of the chapter. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him, and I will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his house or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, and Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised. And all the men of his house, those born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. Let's pray. Our God, what an honor that you would be here with us and teach us. That you, as our Father, who loves us dearly, would feed us today our daily bread for our souls, that which we cannot live without. So God, may you humble our hearts and open our ears to hear your word. Remove distractions. I pray that you protect us, guard us, that we may be fully mentally and spiritually engaged with you this morning. Help us. Help me teach in my weakness that you may be heard. Oh Lord God, we, as been already said, we bow our heads before you. You are the maker of heaven and earth. You are the Lord of all. You are the one who is the beginning and the end, who will rule forever. And yet you care for us and you know our names. Thank you for being such a close and intimate God. And that you are here in spirit with us. In Jesus' name, amen. As I began with uh, verse 15, what we're really doing is we're picking up in the middle of a conversation. 
So the last two weeks, we've been going through this conversation that God is having with Abraham. So far up to this point, God has come down to Abraham and he's told him, you are the man that I have chosen. Now walk righteously before me. Do what I have commanded you to do. I am no longer going to refer to you as Abram, but Abraham, because you are going to be the father of many nations. And he told him that in this covenant that I'm making with you, you're going to bear the sign of that covenant. And we went through all last week what circumcision meant and why God chose that to be the, the sign of this covenant. And now in verse 15, God turns his attention to Abraham's wife. And we're going we're gonna to look at her a little more personally next week. Because she too is struggling. Uh, being Abraham's wife is not an easy gig. <laughs> Let's be honest, men. Being anyone's wife is not an easy gig. But especially Abraham. I mean, having to leave home, traveling to a land you don't know, you know, being chosen by God to be a blessing to the whole world, and yet she's barren. She can't even do her part. So this whole uh, process has been really difficult for her. Let's not even bring up the, what happened in Egypt. I mean, there's, there's some struggles that Sarah's been having. But the main problem is, is that God has been telling them over and over and over, you're going to have a son. And here we are years later, and, and nothing has happened. And they've already concocted a plan of their own. Remember, they tried that out. I'm going to give you one of my servant girls, and Abraham, you're going to have a son through her. And, and it works. He does have a son. But God says, no, that is not the son of promise. Though it has come from Abraham's body, he says here now, specifically, I am going to bring this son from Sarah's body. And so to show that, to really emphasize that, he changes her name, showing his possession of her. She is my chosen uh, lady to bring forth this promised child. Problem is, again, Sarah is 90 years old. Her body has never been able to produce children. So in order for this to uh, happen is going to take a, a, a medical miracle and a biological miracle, both. On their own, these two would probably die childless. But, but, God says it twice. Verse 16, I will bless her. And that is what changed everything in her. That's what changed everything. Now, I have to trust the different sources because I am not uh, a Hebrew scholar. <laughs> so when he changes her name... Uh, there's different uh, understandings of what Sarai means. Uh, some have said it means to strive, like someone who's a striver against. Um, but most say that both Sarai and Sarah have to do with princess. But that Sarai means uh, my princess, a personal one. As if like Abraham is saying, this woman of mine, this wife of mine is, is my princess. God changes her name from the personal, my princess, to being general, just 
princess. And why is that important? Because he says, from this woman who I am naming royalty, from her will come many kings. She will be the mother of many nations. So the Sarah means princess, and she is now declared by God's word that she is going to be a mother, and a mother of not just any child, but a child who's going to become many nations with kings and power and authority. This offspring is going to come from her womb, okay? So she's no longer just Abraham's princess, but she's the princess of all. She's the world's princess. This name change will be a testament of God's prophecy that she is going to have a son. So everybody around her had to call her a different name as they're now calling Abraham a different name, who his name means the father of many nations. So God is purposefully telling everybody who knows them, from these two, I am going to bless the world. I'm going to bless the world. A nation of nations is going to be born from these two. What a time to worship, right? What a time to rejoice. What does Abraham do? He laughs. He laughs. I love the honesty of these texts. What's interesting is that at the very beginning of the conversation, when God first uh, came to Abraham, it says that he fell upon his face. So in the midst of one conversation with God, he has gone from falling on his face in worship to now falling on his face in laughter. This is a ridiculous notion to him. Uh, it doesn't make sense to him. How can this be? He has no understanding of how the promises of God will actually come to fruition. I mean, she, she's been told there is no hope for you. You know she's been told this. And now suddenly God is saying, you will be a mother, though you're 90 years old. And though your body has never been able to produce. Abraham laughs at God. <laughs> this great man of faith. This great man of promise. This one from whom the whole Jewish nation would look to and say, it is an honor to be a child of Abraham. This man, in this moment, laughed at God. <laughs> and what I don't see here is God go, well, fine then. <laughs> You know, I, I've, I've told you so many times. I'm going to go find someone else. He doesn't rebuke him. He doesn't correct him. Do you know what he does for Abraham? He gives him more details. He hones in the prophecy. And, 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 and Abraham's still trying to figure it out. Just like any of us would. He's trying to figure it out. And he says, Lord, Lord, I, I, I hear you. <laughs> I hear you. But have you met Sarah? <laughs> this hasn't worked. 
why don't you take my kid? <laughs> I have Ishmael. He's 13. He's right here. He's tangible. I can see him. I have a son from, from my body. He's of my seed. He's right here. Can we just use him? It makes more sense to me. <laughs> but God's ways are far above our ways. And his thoughts above our thoughts. And God, in so many words, I hear you, Abraham. <laughs> I hear you. I see Ishmael. I've met Sarah. I formed her in the womb. I'm going to bless Ishmael, okay? Because he is your son, he will be blessed. But I am not extending the covenant to him. Listen to me. Listen to me. This son that I have promised will come from Sarah's womb, and you will name him Isaac. Suddenly this kid has a name. Right? He hones in that prophecy, tells him even more details to strengthen his faith, because in the moment he's lapsing. All right? He's having a moment of doubt. And God says, you will name this child Isaac, which means laughter. We'll get into that next week a little more. Isaac means laughter, and you're going to have him at, by this time next year. <laughs> now we have a time frame. We have a son, we have a name of the son, and we have a time of birth. <laughs> and I can see, because I like to read between the lines, <laughs> I can see Abraham get up off of his face at that moment, and his laughter stops. He goes, oh, <laughs> okay. So what does Abraham do? He still doesn't understand, right? He hasn't figured out how Abraham or how Sarah is ever going to become pregnant. God has given him his word. He has given him his covenant. He's commanded him to walk righteously in that covenant. He didn't say walk righteously before me when everything makes sense. He didn't say obey me only when you get it. He just said, live right before me, right now. S some in Abraham's place might continue to scoff at God. I know that because we see it all the time. They might laugh at God's promises and not stop laughing. Some who claim to be of faith might walk away from that faith. The warning goes out to us because the temptation is very real. Let me go back to the beginning when I say what happens when tragedy hits your life and, and you're wrestling with what I once thought about God isn't matching with what I'm seeing. There's a crossroad I said there. We either walk righteously before our God or we fall away. The temptation is really there. And Abraham faced that temptation. I know he did because he's a human being. He's a man. Listen to the warning here from the book of Hebrews. It says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Who's he talking to? He's talking to those who claim to be the church. Leading you to fall away from the living God. 
but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. There are many, many people who claim to be Christians and belay, claim to believe in God, but when life throws them a difficult, heartbreaking curveball, they leave the game. They quit. Here is our warning for us. Though times of life can be uncertain, the doubts come rolling in like waves, unexpected things may, I pray they may us draw us closer to the Lord during those times. Because we can't lean on our own understanding. We don't understand. Abraham doesn't understand. His heart is still full of anxiety. His mind is still confused. He's reeling from that whole conversation. And what does he do immediately after God departs? Do you know what he does? He obeys. <laughs> immediately. He immediately obeys God. He and his son and every male in all of his tribe, among every household that is traveling with him, who lives with him, he says every male needs to be circumcised. This is what God has said we are to do. Was he questioned? Probably. <laughs> but he said, thus says the Lord God. I have made a covenant with you, and this is the sign of my covenant that each of you shall be circumcised. And he lays it out. He says, if you are with me, you will do this. And if you will not, you'll be cut off from my people. He, Abraham, is a living testament to the greatness in, of the knowledge and the wisdom of God. And they go, well, how do you know he's going to give you a son? Uh, it doesn't make sense, Abraham. Nope, <laughs> it doesn't make sense. I don't know how it's going to work, but God said. <laughs> and that's enough. And that's enough. Abraham's story is written on these pages for your sake and my sake. His testimony is given to us because none of us understand <laughs> Life is full of those questions. We've been hearing it all week. Why? Why? We don't know. We don't have all the answers. We will never have all the answers. Even in heaven, we won't have all the answers. We will always be human. Our God is the only omniscient one. What are we called to do? Only obey Him when we get it? Only obey Him when life is good? Only obey him when things make sense? No. We are to obey him whether we are on the mountain or in the valley. Whether life is light or darkness, we are called to obey. Because God knows. Trust that what he says is true, and we obey. Romans chapter 4 is all dedicated to Abraham, that we are following Abraham in his faith. And it's interesting what Paul says. This is the testimony that Abraham leaves to us, but we know it wasn't always easy because Genesis tells us that he laughed at God. 
There were times of weakness in Abraham, but listen to the testimony. Listen to what is going to be remembered of Abraham. In hope, he, that's Abraham, believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew, okay, it grew, he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. That, my friends, is encouraging. <laughs> I don't know about you, but there have been times of doubt in my life. Have there been times of doubt in yours? <laughs> times when this is what the Bible says, but this is how I feel, and they don't click. <laughs> they don't match. And yet, for us who are of faith, our faith grows through those times, and we give glory to God through those times, and that can be your testimony. Not wavering by what happens in life, because we are fully convinced that what God says he will do, he will do. I, I love that God doesn't chastise him at that time. He understands we are but dust. He knows our weakness. He doesn't lash out at him, but he gives him far more detailed information of this promise, giving him what Abraham needed in that moment to truly believe and to be strong in his faith. And after those details are given, he had nothing left to do but believe. And his faith was true because he walked in obedience. I wonder if any of you here could really relate to Abraham. If Abraham was to choose his own path of life, I don't think he would have chose this. And I wonder if any of you feel that way. If I could have chose my own path of life, I don't know if I would have chose this one. It wouldn't have looked like this, at least. Think about Sarah. Is this the life she would have chosen for herself? No way. But that's because our ways are not God's ways, and our thoughts are not God's thoughts. And as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are his ways above ours. But Abraham and Sarah would become the couple who would bring Christ into the world eventually. The promise of salvation to all people. And I know that God never makes mistakes. And our lives, through those great trials and heartbreaks and, and difficulties and problems, He receives the most glory during those times. If it was up to Abraham and Sarah, they would have chosen a different direction. And it would have been the wrong one. Same with us. What expectations did you have of God when you first trusted Him? Interesting to think about those things. 
We had expectations on God, didn't we? If we were honest, I, I, I'd say there are times when he didn't meet those expectations. He didn't do in my life what I expected him to do. In fact, I come to know the Lord and it seems like life gets harder. There's more struggles. Because now I'm not just suffering as the world suffers, but now every day I have to fight against sin and temptation. I struggle against the things of this world. And God says that his grace is enough. And we pray, Lord, take these things away. And he says, my grace is enough. And my name is being glorified in your suffering. And there's a time when I will return and I will make all things right. And you will be mine forever. No more sin, no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more death. And everything you expected will be realized. But not yet. But not yet. So as you face this darkness, this wall, this, this veil that you just don't get it, God says, you won't. And that's okay. Because you're flesh and I am God. Just trust me. Trust that what I say is true and live in obedience. So we close here. Let's look at three different ways that we can apply this. Here's what I learned. I pray you as well. First and foremost is what I've been repeating all morning. God's ways are not our ways. We said this in Sunday school. There, there's, there's a way that you can know the Bible, you get taught the Bible, and yet you don't believe the Bible. And it doesn't change you. I pray that every single one of us are hearing God's word, learning God's word, and believing God's word. That that's true. I think I know what's best for me. I don't. I really don't. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. And as we learn from Abraham, I am so thankful for this next one. I am so thankful. <laughs> A lapse in faith in God is not the end. <laughs> God doesn't say, believe me perfectly or you're out. He is so patient with us. His long-suffering is great with us. And though we have moments of laughing at God, lapsing in faith, doubting his promises, forgetting his word, that doesn't mean we're done. It doesn't mean that God's done with us. He wasn't with Abraham. Repent, therefore, the, the apostles preached. Repent. And that's what we need to do of those times of doubt and, and, and not believing God. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Jesus died for our doubts and our lapses of faith and our scoffing at God and our anger at God. And he says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. We need to remember that the salvation being worked out in us isn't our work. It's his. And he says, I'll do it. If I've started it, it will be complete. But it's going to take a lot of chipping away. And a lot of our chipping away requires suffering. 
Lastly, our call is to obey the Lord who has made a covenant with us. That God would have such tender mercy upon us and desire us and to live life close to us and, and hold us for all of eternity. What a blessing that is. Our call is not simply just to ride out life, <laughs> just to wait till the end, twiddle our thumbs. Your calling as a covenant member of Christ's church is to obey him. That's the call. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. So church, I pray that you'll be encouraged this morning that wherever you are in life, wherever you are in your faith, that you will be remembered here that God has not ever lost control. That his purpose is being accomplished just as he originally planned it. And though what he says sometimes doesn't look like what we see, we don't go by sight. We live by faith. Our Father, I pray that you will help us in this time. There's always questions that we have. We are a people who want to know. And Father, you have not called us to know. You've called us to believe. I'm so thankful, Lord, that we serve a God who is the beginning and the end, who knows all things, and that has all things already worked out for his glory and his purpose and his pleasure. Father, thank you for not throwing us out. That's what our sin deserves. But thank you in your patience that you would save us and sanctify us. That we could be a people of faith unwavered by life. Though the emotions are real, though we cry and we weep at times, though we're left speechless at times, we know our God reigns. And that never changes. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And to that we hold on. Father, I thank you that no one can take us out of your hand. That neither life, nor death, nor anything can separate us from the love of God. But we pray in our suffering. We pray here on this earth, Lord, Jesus, come quickly. Redeem us. Resurrect us to new life forevermore. And in Jesus' name, amen.